Turn in your Bibles to, Hebrew, to, uh, to Ephesians. I'll get it. Hebrews, Matthew. I'll get back over there. To Ephesians 3. <clears throat> Got a couple of verses in my head this morning. Ephesians 3. And uh, <clears throat> I want to start with uh, this prayer that Paul prays in 14. But I ask you a question. Why or what are the reason or reasons for praying? What, what are the reason or reasons? Maybe you say, why do you pray? <clears throat> huh? Okay, stay close to God. <clears throat> what else? Why, why do you pray? Huh? Okay, <clears throat> praying for others, for lost people, praying, interceding, intercession for lost people. What else? Why, why do you pray? Because I need to. You need, well, <clears throat> yeah. And <clears throat> so, so fellowship, lost souls, we need, what else? Why, why do we pray? Praise God. Huh? Praise God. Praise God. <clears throat> okay, praise God. Huh? I pray that our granddaughter Melanie and her Cuban husband Jorge can adopt a baby from the Ukraine. Yeah. Okay. But they don't have a lot of money. Yeah. So, so we just keep praying. Okay. Yeah. Keep money. praying. So here's a need. You know, we pray because of need, right? What else? Huh? Lover of my Confession. Yeah, you do that a lot. <laughs> yeah, you know, in some traditions in every church service, there's a time in the service where there's the prayer of confession. So confession, like, yeah, John. To be honest, because I want something. Because you want something, okay. Kind of in that need area, but it's a little more like, okay, I really want this, yeah. Because Huh? Because we're grateful? Yeah, so which one of these is the best? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, kind of the need of the moment. And so it made me think about that a little bit as we're uh, working through this final section uh, in Ephesians 3, where Paul has this remarkable prayer. And we've been discussing or studying in this uh, particular topic. Here is what God expects from me uh, as we uh, work our way through to Ephesians 4. And that God expects we need to know what our calling is if we're going to live worthy of our calling. If we're going to live worthy of our calling, then we need to know what it is. And this prayer that Paul prays uh, really um, has been fascinating to me in a couple of ways. So I want to, I want to talk a little bit, first of all, about structure. By the way, uh, do any of you uh, read Jesus Calling as your devotional book in the morning? What was this morning's reading? You remember? Oh, I'm going to find out. <clears throat> Did you do it this morning? Huh? Yeah. Oh, we didn't do it this morning, didn't Yeah, right. <clears throat> no. Is anybody? Did you read? The, the reading for this morning on Jesus Calling is this prayer in Ephesians 3, 14 to 21. So you better listen up. Okay. <laughs> right? Becky was telling me this morning, she was reading that. She goes, you know, the, the, the Jesus Calling Today devotion is Ephesians 3, 14 to 21. So <clears throat> kind of interesting. That's where we are today. Just saying. Uh, so, but, but there's some structure here that I think is, is fascinating in this. Now, notice here in 314 where it says, for this reason. Okay? We're going to look at that. Now, that's interesting uh, because if you'll go back to chapter 1, if you go back to chapter 1, uh, where there is another prayer at 115, the same phrase, for this reason. Now, there's a structure here that I want to put up here on the board just for a second. In this first three chapters, in the, fir in the first three chapters, what you have is 1, 3 to 14, what I'm going to call content, where Paul is referring to and 
giving the information about this incredible uh, project, if you will, of uh, salvation for human beings. That is followed by <clears throat> then in 115 to, I've got, I'll make sure I got the right, uh, 23 is a prayer. And it is introduced in 15 for this reason. Well, what's the reason? This content, the material before it. <clears throat> for this reason, Paul breaks into prayer in 115. <clears throat> then what you have in 2 1 to 3 13 is another section of content which communicates, <clears throat> if you will, that we were dead in our trespasses, but now we're alive. And because of that, we are now together as God's people, both Jew and Gentile. That long section of content about who God's people are now, not just Jews, but Jews and Gentiles who've been brought from death to life. Go back there and look at that. It starts in chapter 2. You who were dead in trespasses and your sins now have been made alive through Christ Jesus. By grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God and bringing together the Jew and the Gentile. And guess what follows at 3.14? You see it right there? What? Prayer. Notice the structure here. Prayer. From 3.14 to 21. Um, which suggests something here. I just want to, want to ask you to consider something here. Is that in Paul's mind or thinking, in Paul's experience or whatever, at least in this book, and I don't know of any other book that Paul writes or any other writer that kind of has this structure. I mean, this this. First three chapters are organized around content and prayer. Content and prayer. And that is what Paul is trying to say is, here's your calling. Here's your calling that you need to walk worthy of beginning at chapter 4. When he says, therefore, I, prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you've been called, which he's stipulated in one chapters 1, 2, and 3. So it made me wonder, again, because of this kind of language, for this reason. Why do I pray? Well, why is Paul praying here? Why is Paul praying? <clears throat> if I'm right, if, the, if this follows some, that Paul's prayers are, are, <clears throat> are motivated or are come out of an understanding of what God has done. Come out of an understanding of God's activity, God's work, God's uh, work in Jesus Christ throughout the world that then initiates a prayer that then follows again the content of what God has done by bringing us to life, by bringing us together as both Jew and Gentile, if you will, that then initiates or causes him then to break into prayer. So I just have a question about the structure. We're, we're going to get to the outline here in a minute. But I just have a thought in the structure is how informed is my prayer life by the gospel? How informed is my praying and I'm just going to call this content the gospel. You know, you could call it other things. But how informed, how, uh, how dependent is my prayer life on the gospel's content? Does, does my life break in, if you will, understanding the content, the material of what God has done in Christ? Does that then initiate or motivate or cause me to pray? It's just been a thought I've been having lately. As I just kind of look, because Paul does this for this reason, for this reason. His prayers begin with a why. This is why I'm praying. Here's the reason. It's not just, it's okay to pray for need. 
It's okay, certainly, to pray for confession. It's okay to pray for fellowship. I mean, no, no, quite. The rest of the Scripture supports that. But in this particular work where Paul is working us through chapters 1, 2, and 3 to get to the point where we can walk worthy of our calling, that maybe our prayer life, maybe my prayer life, needs to fall into a little more understanding that content of understanding the gospel is what informs or causes me to pray. Just a thought. I, it just, when I see that kind of repetition, for this reason, for this reason, when I see this kind of structure, content prayer, content prayer, I think, okay, Paul's saying something here. He's communicating something here. And so I just sort of this week as I'm working through this and thinking about this, I'm thinking about how can I, if you will, review my prayer life and try to understand, is there a reason that my prayers have gotten perhaps weak or gotten too repetitious? Is it to review my prayer life in such a way to understand the gospel that it initiates, it fuels, it motivates prayer? So if you're like me, I think sometimes I just kind of get Here's my prayer list. Here's my prayer. You know, here, what do you do? I got to do this before I go to work. So, you know, God doesn't hurt me. You know, right? you know, have your devotion so God won't hurt you. Yeah. I grew up in a church that taught that. You know, oh, well, you know, you had a car wreck on the way to work. Did you have your devotions this morning? No. Okay. You know, lesson learned. I mean, that's just, that is sick. <laughs> but, uh, but the idea of if your prayer life and mine is stale, or it seems like maybe you ought to spend a little time rehearsing, reading, remembering the gospel here. This uh, amazing thing. So that, that's just kind of structure what I'm trying to. Okay, so let's, look, let's read the prayer and then we'll go back. So he says, <clears throat> verse 14, for this reason. And again, it's my suggestion. It's back here on this gospel. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that He would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with power through His Spirit. Amen. <clears throat> That's right. So we'd be <laughs> getting some help over here. Come on. Y'all should be as engaged. Okay? Come on. Hey, I'm a professional. I worked with 18-year-olds. They don't bother me. <clears throat> So strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, so that. Now, now I've got to draw your attention to in 16, see the word that. In 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that, there's the third one, that you may be filled up with all of the fullness of God. And now to him who is able to do more abundantly beyond what we can ask or think according to the power that works within him, within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. So this passage here, I want to unpack here about this prayer that Paul is fueled by the gospel that is praying for us, praying for generations of people to be able to live worthy of their calling. So the first thing I'm going to call your attention to is this, a posture in this prayer. 
What, what's the posture here? I'm, uh, here in this prayer? What is it? it? Starts right off at the beginning. For this reason, I, mm -hmm. I bow. I bow. Uh, it's just fascinating to hear that 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 here Paul says I, I'm bowing before this, uh, which is a little unusual because the normal posture in prayer in uh, Jewish world, the Jewish world, Jesus's world is standing. Uh, in fact, uh, a guy I know, Ligon Duncan, who's a Scottish Brit, uh, theologian. I loved I, again. He and Alistair Begg could read the phone book, and I'd be fine. <laughs> it just sat there. Oh yeah. And now on 12th Street. Uh, but, uh, but he said this. He said th this idea of standing and praying, he said, is so ingrained in the Scottish Presbyterians that all you have to do is say, let us pray, and they stand. So the normal posture for prayer throughout the Bible, throughout history, is standing. Now here in this particular case, Paul says, I bow. Now <clears throat> look at that here just for a moment. Uh, because it suggests, again, this term that there's this uh, 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 usual position of standing, but Paul says, I bow, which suggests, if you will, recognition of greatness, recognition of honor. This, this understanding of <clears throat> simply understanding that Paul is so affected for this reason, so affected by this material that he's read or, or written to us about the gospel, he bows. I, I, uh, I, on occasion, I've told you before that generally at noon, I pray either the prayer in Ephesians 1, 15 to 21, or I pray the prayer of Ephesians here 4, uh, 3, 14 to 23. And uh, one of the things I would do in my office, <clears throat> kind of close the door, make sure nobody's around, would be to bow, which recognizes this sense of honor, this sense of reverence, this sense of I am dealing with someone greater than myself, that I am bowing before someone. Uh, <clears throat> Paul was so affected by this gospel that it brought him to his knees. And while I think it's true that it's okay for us to pray in any position while we're in our car, while we're at work, I'm kind of experimenting with this a little bit. To say, have I lost, if you will, some of the wonder of the gospel? Some of the, some of the wonder of it to the extent that now I have just reserved prayer for when I'm in my car, when I'm sitting at my desk, or when I'm at the house. You know, you, you know what I'm saying? That, that I've sort of, have I? I'm asking. Have, have I? Not, don't answer. No. <clears throat> that, that maybe have I through the process of knowing that I can pray like that, that I can pray like that, that I'm able to rec recover, if you will, a sense of the honor of it. Now, don't take him out. He, we, we have fewer people in class. No. <laughs> we got to report the number here, okay? We, we have to report the number, Daniel? <laughs> <That's all right. clears throat> He's good. He's good. He's good. That's right. He's good. He needs a break too. He, he's heard me too much. <laughs> yeah, he's saying, out, out. That's what he's saying. Yeah. But to recover this, you know, uh, it made me think here again uh, of this uh, understanding of the position here. Now, I, I wondered this. I thought to myself, you know, we've talked a lot about the proper posture of prayer standing and looking up. Have we substituted 
bowing our knees for bowing our heads? I don't know. You know, I, I've gone to some churches and in the chapel we have them where they have the kneelers. There's something about that that I think if we're not careful, if we don't recover some sense of that, of that when we pray, that we are certainly instructed to stand and lift our face, but that there is some place in our spiritual formation, in our spiritual development, where every once in a while we ought to bow. We ought to bow our knees before the God of heaven. And he says this. I, I, I'm reminded, maybe you read uh, the book uh, Screw Tape Letters, yep. uh, C.S. Lewis. <clears throat> he said this about posture. He said uh, in his counsel from uh, uh, the, the senior demon to the junior demon, <clears throat> uh, he said, at the very least, uh, human beings can be persuaded that the bodily position makes no difference to their prayers. They constantly forget what we, he's talking about the devils, must always remember. There are animals and that whatever they do in their bodies affects their souls. I remember reading that years and years ago thinking, yeah, you know, what we do in our bodies, how we comport ourselves, whether it would be kneeling or even maybe in church if you, uh, you know, if we're singing, if you raise your hands or there have been times whenever... Uh, we sing uh, that great song, uh, uh, Bind My Wandering Heart to Thee, and I'll just put my hand over my heart. That, that, there's something about that bodily comportment that does something to us. I'm not saying you have to do that. I'm not, I'm not, not making some rule here. But Lewis is brilliant here. Whenever he <clears throat> understands that our bodily position can and does make a difference, I mean, I, I, there are times, you know, Becky and I will be talking and uh, mostly me. She's mostly listening and uh, we'll talk and we'll talk as we're in the car and we'll talk. Sometimes we're walking the dog. There are other times when we need to sit down and just look at each other and say, I need to talk to you. Or oh, I need to discuss something here. Our, our, our bodily position needs to change from talking while we're doing something or talking while we're engaging. That's okay to do that. It's not, I'm not making a rule here. But there is time when our bodily comportment here needs to take on this understanding of that. So Paul is so affected by this. He, he is so affected by this experience of the gospel. And maybe we ought to recover some of that. Maybe we ought to go back as we, as we read this. I wrote my notes, have Protestants substituted bowing the knee to God by bowing our heads. So I want to ask you this week, just experiment with this a little bit at your own leisure and however comfortable you are with this, that as you pray, maybe read, maybe read Ephesians 3 there. Just, just read that. And what God has done by bringing together Jew and Gentile, brought us from the dead to life, saved us by grace, not by our own activities. And then just bow your knee and give thanks to God and just say what you've done. It's what I could never do or anyone else could ever do. So I just ask you to consider that. A second thing here, I see not only a posture of this prayer, but a, the person of this prayer. Notice when he's, here's recorded, he said, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. 
Now, the person of this prayer, the statement here is a bit different. I, I don't know of any other place in Paul's prayer or Paul's, Paul's even uh, greeting where he starts like this. Notice what he says. I, I bow my knees to the Father from whom every family in heaven on earth derives his name. Generally, what Paul will say, and he says it in the previous prayer in 117 or others, is he usually prays, I pray to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the normal, uh, if you will, applic- uh, uh, appellation there in that prayer. And so what, what is Paul doing here? He he, he's changed it up a little bit. And so I just want to suggest a couple of things here. That for this reason, I bow before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. The Father here is understood as the Father of all of the families of the earth. There's a little bit of a word play in Greek here. Patria, patre. The, the word family and the word father. It's a little bit of a word play. But, but Paul's prayer seems to do, attempt to, again, because of what God has done by bringing the Jew and the Gentile together, to help them understand that they have the same Father. Jews and Gentiles who have believed in Jesus and Jews and Gentiles who put their faith in Him have the same Father. And this co- speaks to, I think, the, the, the matter of of unity that we find in Jesus Christ through the gospel and because of who God the Father is. So in this prayer, he prays, first of all, to the Father. Who do you pray to? When you think about when you pray, is it a father? Or is it a drill instructor? Or is it somebody that hands you orders for the day? Or is it someone who just wants to give you a job. You know, I I taught for a lot of time, a long time at the university, and we discussed this matter about father. Because I think you could argue, I can argue, of course I can argue, leave me alone, here we go. I think you can make the argument that the unique contribution that Jesus brought to Judaism, he didn't, bring really anything much new that sin had to be atoned for. He didn't bring much new about prayers important. What he did do was, though, he began to teach about the character of God as Father. And I've told you before, in rabbinical literature, in rabbinical writing, no one ever addressed God as my Father. No one. In fact, I did a study one time. There's about about, about 11 occurrences in the entire old, uh, Hebrew, Hebrew scriptures where God is referred to as Father, and it's always in terms of the nation, never personal. Joachim Jeremias, who was a great German theologian, said the single greatest contribution that Jesus made was to reveal that Yahweh, God, is Father, and you can call Him Abba. Now, now think about that just for a second. <laughs> If you're a Hebrew person and you know the name of God is that, (laughs) remember, whenever uh, Jewish people would write the name of God, they wrote it like this. It's four consonants, Y-H-W-H, but they wouldn't write it because you never want to take the Lord's name in vain. They wouldn't pronounce it 
as they're reading through the Hebrew scriptures, they would be reading along and say, and then may his name be praised. Created human beings. Think about this for a second. This is the understanding of their understanding of the name of God. Yahweh. Now they have all kinds of derivatives of Elohim. El is the shortened version of Elohim. Elohim. El Shaddai. El El, uh, Adonai. All these different terms to keep from saying Yahweh. And Jesus says, now, when you come to God, he's your father. That is a radical idea. Now, let me be quick to say, one of the things when I worked with students over the years is to at least consider that your experience or my experience with a guy named my father may not have been positive. Right? I mean, it's, it's not uniformly positive. Uh, some people have had a very positive experience with that person named father, And others have had a very difficult experience. And there's a lot of work I think we have to do sometimes in spiritual formation to work, to pray, to seek, to disassociate those two people. (laughs) To say that my heavenly father is not a, 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 or my, my earthly father is not an absolute expression of my heavenly father. There's a lot of research in this particular area. But whatever a good father is, Whatever a loving, caring father is, Jesus told us about this father. That we could go from Yahweh to Adonai to Abba. And that is, the, uh, in, in, in uh, Arabic, it's Abi, Abi. It's an easy word for a kid to say. It's usually the first word they say because it's labial. It's in the lips, you know, like that. So, uh, Abba, Abi, it means, for most etymology, it means daddy. So I pray to the father, the, the daddy, of whom every family on the earth is named. This is the one that Paul's saying is what unifies. It's the fatherhood of God. It causes us to understand that we're unified through Jesus Christ. And so when you pray, I want to ask you this. Who do you see? Do you see the Father from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name? Or do you see, again, a drill instructor, a boss, a judge? This is where some of my research with Wesley has been that John Wesley had a a fairly profound sense that God was more father than judge. God was more uh, uh, a physician than judge. That human beings needed a father. Think about Jesus' own ministry. What was the greatest story probably everybody knows that he talked about or wrote about when he was trying to communicate who father was? Remember? Huh? Yeah, the prodigal father. <laughs> Remember, the word prodigal means excessive, wasteful in some sense. Who, who was excessive in that story? Father. Yeah. And he told that story to say, this is the frame. This is the understanding. If you're, if you're thinking about God as father, this is the frame that you have to have. 
So this week, would you pray if you bow? The second matter is, would you stop to consider who, who do I see in my mind's eye? Who, who is it? And if you've had a difficult experience with your father, uh, and many of us have, uh, I t- you know, I, I thought my dad's name was Sir till I was nine years old. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> tough experience, but worked through it and uh, uh, did some of that material. But, but at least begin the process of saying, who do I see when I pray? Because Paul wants us to see the God who's the father of every nation. Now, third, we're not going to get through with all this, okay? I know. Hey, don't give me that. Last week, we filled out every blank. Did we? Did we? Okay. Stop it. See? We filled out every blank. So, the petitions of this prayer. And this is where, again, I've tried to call your attention to these demonstrative pronouns here. Look at verse 16, that. Verse 17, so that or that. Verse 19, that. There are three, if you will, infinitives here that suggest uh, the the direction of this prayer. And so uh, this idea of of petitions, so 16 and 17 and 19. Uh, Look here what he says, and I've got this on your first here, the first, first one, that. Number one, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. So this first request or this first petition is really the notion of that we would be strengthened. Notice here that he would grant you, well, it's back up, that, that, that it begins by granting us from the riches of his glory. So, so the possibility of this petition occurring is not based on anything we can do, right? Where does it come from? It comes, it comes from him granting according to the riches, the muchness is the Greek word here, the muchness of his glory. Let, let's think about that for a minute. This first petition that God would grant to us from his muchness, the riches of his glory, that we would be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner person. So all that language that stacks up there suggests that this is a petition, if you will, to ask God to use his power, his might, his ability. It's not me. It's not saying, now, what you ought to do, Cliff, is pray more. What you ought to do is work harder. What you ought to do is be more committed. No, no, it's praying that God would grant, according to the riches of his glory, that we would be strengthened with power through the spirit of his inner man, of our, of our inner man. So look at those terms here. This idea of being strengthened with power through his spirit. This is an internal job. This is something that we ask and seek God to do in our behalf so that we would be strengthened here. Notice here in verse 17 that this, he seems to suggest what that is. Strengthened with power so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That Christ would dwell in your heart. Have you ever thought about that? That God's strength and riches and His glory here is to strengthen us so Christ 
can dwell in our hearts through faith. What's the, what's the source here, or the strength here that has Christ living in our hearts? God's strength. God's power. God's ability. I mean, it looks like that to me. These are all the verbs here that are being used, or the statements here, that we be strengthened with power through His Spirit in our inner person. Would you like that? Is that something you're interested in? That we would be strengthened with power? Notice that. I mean, just try to show you that. Strengthened with power. Those are two different words there. Paul is using some language here of power. Strengthened and then power. Scuderas and then dunamis with power through his spirit. You know, I've told you before, several occasions, part of my, I don't know, probably not the right word, a hobby, but over the years, um, this uh, interest that I've had in trying to understand John Wesley's theology, his understanding. Uh, some authors have said that, that Wesley's ministry, which placed great emphasis upon the Holy Spirit, uh, was responsible for saving England from a French Revolution. Uh, if you'll remember, in about the same period of time, Wesley died in 1793, uh, that there's a revolution going on across the pond. And there's one going on in America. <laughs> and it's kind of the thing. <laughs> Revolt. <laughs> and some authors have written and said, why is it that England didn't have that? They had some of the same excesses with the monarchy. They had some of the same issues. And some scholars and historians will say that it was the Wesleyan revival that revealed God's work in people's hearts by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And the longer I'm a Christian, the longer I follow Jesus, I may know more and I may have more intelligence understanding of it, but the more conscious I am of my dependence on the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is that internal work, that internal power, that, that internal process. That's a terrible way to say that, Cliff. That's a dumb thing. Not a process, a person. <laughs> that internal person that is being strengthened by the power of the Holy Spirit. And each day as I wake up, I, I have a prayer that I go through. Uh, I, I recommend it in this respect. It's found in Ephesians 5. We'll get there someday. <laughs> Yeah. Ephesians 5.18, when it says this, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. The force of those verbs are present, continual. Not once, not twice, it, constant. Mm -hmm. and, and Paul is praying here that we would be strengthened by God's power through His Spirit. In my journal, at least for me, and I don't know how it worked for you, but in my prayer journal, each morning, I, I just, you know, tell you this, I say, Lord, I pray today for a new infilling of the Holy Spirit because I can get filled up with ambition. I can up, get filled up with self-centeredness. I can get filled up with my own way real easily. Anybody with me? Right. 
And I've just found that in my own spiritual formation, that praying this prayer, that I would be strengthened by power through His Holy Spirit, that that's not just a one-time thing. That it is, in fact, a daily prayer of mine, a daily awareness of mine to pray each day. Now, before I walk out the door, before I enter my day, have I humbled myself to the extent to say, Lord, I'm praying that you would strengthen me according to the riches of your glory, that I'd be strengthened with power by your spirit. And, you know, that doesn't mean you don't have any problems. It doesn't mean you don't have any difficulties. For me, it means four or five things. I'll just tell you what they are for me. For me, the filling of the spirit operates under C's. I've been a preacher too long. I, you know, everything starts the same letter, and I have a poem in there somewhere. But yeah. <clears throat> Alliteration. Yes, it helps me remember. So I say, I say this. The filling of the Spirit for me means today, Lord, I'm asking you to circumcise my heart. Cut away what is not needed there. Take it away. Paul says in Ephesians, or Romans 2 when he says that the true Jew is one who has the circumcision of the heart. And so I just pray, God... There's an easy way for things to get accumulated there. So circumcise my heart, Romans 2, 9. And then I say, now I want to live today in the competence of your giftedness. How, how have you gifted me, God? 1 Corinthians 12. I, I want to live today in the competence of that you've gifted me. I don't want to try to impress anybody. I don't want to, I don't want to try to act like a, something I'm not. I'm trying to rest in. I'm trying to settle in. This is how you've gifted me. This is how you've called me in life. And this is who I am. And so I want to live in that today. It's caused a lot of less pressure on me. A lot of less stress to just say, hey, God, you gifted. You know, some of you are gifted in serving. Some of you are gifted in leading. Some of you are gifted in, in knowledge. Some of you are gifted in teaching. Just settle in whatever that gifting is. And so I just say, okay, circumcise my heart. Help me live in the competence that you are. Third, Lord, I'm asking you to fill me with spirit that I may have a sense of your companionship, that I'm walking with you, that, I'm, that we're together here today. That sense of communion or companion. I, I have a, in my journal there, uh, my grandmother, and I, I think maybe she stole this from Susanna Wesley. I think my grandmother stole this. <laughs> but my grandmother, who my grandfather was not a Christian, when my grandmother would get so beside herself with what was going on in life, she'd go out in the backyard. My dad told me this all the time in Meemaw. I told you we have a little <coughs> Meemaw idolatry. Sorry, family. I know you heard that. She would take her apron and put it over her head and pray. And my dad said, that Meemaw, he was a kid when he'd see this. He said when he would see Meemaw come back in the house, she was radiant. Because she had a sense that even though Peepaw wasn't acting right and they were moving every time the rent was due, that Meemaw had that companionship with Jesus. So circumcise my heart. Help me live in the capacity you created me in. The sense of companionship. And then, I, I don't know about you, but I, I pray today, Lord, help me to communicate the gospel. In other words, open my mouth in witness. That's really been kind of bugging me a little lately. 
for me, not you. Well, some of you, but no. <laughs> to, to, to give a verbal witness about what God has done in my life. Not in Sunday school, not in the staff meeting, but at the coffee shop. And so I'd say, Lord, please help me communicate. Help me communicate your love, your kindness, your goodness. And then finally, the last one is develop your character, the fruit of the Spirit in my life. My, the character I need today. Sometimes that's all I get through in my prayer life. Because <laughs> I just say, okay, I, here's what for me and my understanding of being filled with the Spirit today looks like. Not just some ethereal kind of thing out here, just some generalized kind of living or feeling. But these features, these components for me each day to go before God and say, this is what I need you. And I can't do that. It's, it's like Dennis Kinlaw is a great scholar. He said, you can't do this on your own. This would be like a drowning person trying to save themselves by pulling their own hair. Good image, huh? Yeah, if you can do this, you don't need the Holy Spirit, right? This isn't saving yourself from drowning by pulling your own hair and pulling yourself out of the water. That's what I thought as a kid. No, this is being strengthened with power through His Spirit. It's the power that God has for us. So I'm going to ask you, <clears throat> come back next week. <laughs> <laughs> That's the first one. <laughs> there are three really great petitions here. You don't want to miss them. So here's, here's my, my question for us, our application. Did I put app? No, I didn't. Uh, application for this. My list is not comprehensive. Your list may be different. But do you, in your prayer life, and do I in my prayer life, pray in such a way that we know that God wants to strengthen us with power in the inner person. And so this week, you might try this. Take Ephesians 5.18, put it on a card where you see it every morning this week. Do not be drunk with wine, but be being filled with the Holy Spirit. And just take that and say, Lord, today... Maybe Cliff's list is okay, or I got another list. Make your own list. But to say, I need to be strengthened with power in the inner person in my life this day. Not yesterday, not tomorrow. I'm not worried about it. I, today that you might strengthen me. This prayer that Paul's praying for you and me is that we might be able to walk worthy of the calling. It's not saving yourself. It's not pulling yourself out of the water by your own hair. It's being strengthened by this power of His Spirit. Let's pray. Jesus, Father and Holy Spirit, You who are three, You who are three, You who are three, work in our lives. Convince us of our inability. Draw us to this prayer and to this God. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.